Okay, folks, we're going to continue on a little bit about leadership in this segment. Uh, I want to grant blanket permission. Uh, Gabby's got an open house. She has to go to it at noon. So if I go on to 1230, we're just going to move over there. And uh, we'll just... <laughs> she did say open house, so... There we go. Sounds like lunch to me. Yeah. The vision of the Lord will take us to an interesting place in, in all of our cultures, and that is we will, like Jesus, have to associate with the poor and the needy. There's no such thing as high and mighty. <laughs> Uh, it's always been amazing to me that Jesus was found among prostitutes, uh, the p- poverty-stricken, widows, kind of the dregs of the society of his day. He was not embarrassed to associate with these people. And in his association wasn't for purian interest. Was he not redemptive in all of these cases? But he was not embarrassed to deal with these uh, some months ago, I heard a, a lawyer give a lecture up in Dallas. He's from eastern Kentucky. When he was 30 years old, he was the county attorney and a raging alcoholic and drug head. And in that, he got gloriously saved and spirit-filled. He resigned his office and started an insurance company for poor people, for poor people. And it's been so successful that the state of Kentucky is funding his program without interfering because it has some uh, it has some pieces to it one is people with these life controlling problems need counseling in some quite intensive and maybe 3 days a week etc that's expensive and time consuming but you make that investment because how many know if you're going to shape how a tree grows you have to spend time paying attention to that and uh, so they need counseling. That's number one. Someone has to pay for that or there's a dollar figure connected to it. All ministry has an economic piece. All of it. Not some of it. All of it. If you complain about churches taking off and you just have to ask God to help you get through that and get over it. We can't function with this without money. And my budget runs like this. What's your budget based on? It's based on more. Amen. Truly. And I'm not just trying to play for words. If more money comes, we can do more in the world. So and we run a cash economy. We don't we don't deal with debt. Uh, I'm not saying I never would, but for operations we deal with cash. And so at the end of the month, in fact, for the first five years of this ministry, I personally wrote the bank account down to one hundred dollars. At the at Jan one, February one, we had a hundred dollars in the bank. I'm here to tell you we never miss paying one bill or taking care of one project. The Lord brought across our life, and they were in the millions of dollars. Not hundreds of dollars, millions of dollars. You know why? He's faithful. And if he's spoken, God's not a man that lies about anything. If he said, this is your assignment, I'm looking for the money to show up. Because he said, not Dale said, he said, you have an assignment. It's wonderful. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. Okay. So you're going to need to do, to have some cash flowing over and above operational expense if you're going to do the work of the ministry. Okay, but you are going to, and if you don't deal with the poor, and I know in seasons you've had food ministry and various things go on here, but be sure somewhere in the focus and scope of the church as the poor and needy who cannot. I know I'm talking about users and abusers. 
I'm just talking about people that life has gone sideways for them. And how many of you know in our culture right now, more and more are having to get in food lines. And any place that has food programs, there's lines as long as you can see. It's because there's real needs. I mean, you, single moms with kids can't be paying 10 bucks a pound for hamburger. I mean, they just can't. It's not their fault. There's another place called Washington that probably needs a nuclear device <laughs> put on it, but it's not their fault. And, 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 and so, and also, once we've demonstrated kindness, it gives you a right to speak into their life. This church helped. We sent 800, we sent 253 wheelchairs to Greece in March of 2020. Three days after the container is released, COVID rules hit. Greece locked up for a whole year. One person from a family could leave their house one hour to go get food. The entire nation was locked up like that for a whole year. I mean, they're dealing with many problems of depression, alcohol, and a lot of stuff since that. But that's how the country was. They just locked up. And they pretty well beat the COVID thing, but, but at this huge, this huge price. Okay. That to say, we couldn't distribute anything. It just went storage and they were safe enough, but wheelchairs are only good if somebody's in them, right? So last year in April 21, uh, it was possible now for them to come and get wheelchair one by one. So the ones going to single families, they were able to come to the church offices. So they called, my friends called me and said, would you mind if we started distributing these things because we're, we're out of space? And I said, absolutely not. They developed this wonderful plan. Well, a lot of people have to be carried there. Well, so it takes three or four people to carry them and then aunties and uncles and their local politicians and some doctors and always oh, you get 10, 12 people coming. And they allocated an hour for these visits. They always wound up an hour and a half. In the first pass, they led over 40 people to Jesus. So in September last year, my youngest son and I went to Greece to go to every hospital that had received chairs. Took us 16 days, working every day but Sunday from 8.30 in the morning till 8 or 9 at night. Never was an hour and a half. It was always three hours or more because we get praying for the board of directors and the staff and then all kinds of things broke out. At the end of 16 days, we delivered back to the church with, and I had a team from the church with me as well as my son. We delivered back to the church 402 names, addresses of people that requested home visits because their family had received a wheelchair. How many think it might be God? It just might be good. So that's how there's this exponential. It's the kingdom of God, Matthew 13, is like a lady who went and got some yeast. You know, if we go down to Publix here, why am I advertising for Publix? In In my town, it's H-E-B, baby. It's H-E-B. But yeast is like uh, happy cow, little slices with aluminum on it. It's a little thing, isn't it? In the refrigerated, I mean, the, the wet yeast. It's a little. God, God's rule is like that. A lady going to get... Everybody in the Middle East knows about bread. Bread's made in every house every day, except the Sabbath. It's like... The, my ruling is like a lady with a little piece of yeast in her And she mixes it in three measures of flour. Until the flour is yeasted. 
the flower becomes something it could not otherwise become. And once yeast is in, you can't get it out of there. Because now we don't have flour, we have dough. It has changed the thing. So little affects much, but in an unseen way. Because there's enzymes in yeast that interact with enzymes in flour. And uh, what do they call this? Raising? Rises. It rises. Why does it rise? Because if you cut it sideways, you see little air pockets. This chemical mechanism creates carbon dioxide gas. And that's why it goes. My mother used to smack it. Me and the bread. She used to smack it down. And it'd get more dense. Those little pockets would get, drive the air. It'd be thicker because hers always had oats in it and nuts and raisins and stuff. Just pack it down and then you bake it. So just with yeast in it, it still hasn't met its destination. Here's a principle. You have to lose your identity to fulfill your destiny. That's the principle of the yeast. We can go anywhere here in Volusia County today after this meeting. Surely, Pastor, there's a great destiny around food because it has come up so many times in my talk. We are destined to chow down as soon as it's 12.05, I declare. Food will be passing in front of your face. Amen. Okay. Once the yeast is in, it can't be taken out. Right. Can't be taken out. Little affects much. And that thing has to be in the heat before it comes to its fulfillment. We could go find the best ingredients from grain only from two counties in North Dakota or Saskatchewan and the best raisins and all the stuff, find the best of everything, get some some butter from a happy cow, put on some of Grandma's homemade jam, bite it. We'd say, praise God, this is the best butter I've ever put in my mouth. You would not say this is the best yeast I've ever tasted. It's done its work. You don't know about it. But it's done its work. How do we know? You see the evidence. But it doesn't have to have a reputation of its own. It doesn't yell in the low scene. I'm in here. Come and get me. Well, I'm responsible for this. Yes. yes. <laughs> Maybe big. It's got bloat. <laughs> I did it. Okay. That's how God does his work. With people who are willing to not have to have an acquired identity. Wow. Or have their name in public. We don't need, if I'm lifted up, yes, amen. I don't mean Dale, but I mean, if, I'll draw a man unto me. Yeah. You see it? So we have an obligation under God. And uh, there, there's a number of ramifications I won't take time for today, but I wanted to protect your time so you can do the other things you need to do today. But every church must in some way touch poor and disenfranchised people yes. in the community where they live. And you all may have to go find them. But I've driven around here a lot of years. They're not far from this building. And and, and, and so somebody, uh, you know it's true. Somebody not a thousand feet from this building is in the middle of a terrible divorce right now. Somebody's daughter has run off someplace. They're in their houses, maybe drinking, popping pills, not knowing how to solve their mess. We have an obligation to be involved with them. That's the gospel. The good news is there's hope. There's hope. And um, 
we're happy to share that with you. So let's not be let's not be afraid of that. Uh, there's been some times when some cities, with all this nonsense that's been going on, want to shut off food kitchens and things like that. And in several places, the churches have risen up and said, "We're going to vote you out of office next week if you don't leave this alone. You don't do it, so we're doing it." And they just went ahead anyway. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm not saying everybody needs to have food kitchens or clothing, but we need to be engaged with disenfranchised people in some way. And there's lots of ways to do that. Uh, what else? Oh, another thing about leadership that's important is leaders always build teams or are part of teams. It's the title of a book, but it's true. We're better together. Isn't that true? We are. We are. I like. I always take teams overseas. I mean, I may fly there by myself, but when I land, there's always others with us. They're not there to carry my bags or hear me teach. They're there to work just like everybody else. And it's a wonderful thing. It's amazing how teams, if we, all I ask our team members to do is you pray intensively about these events we've, we've taken on. Uh, I don't know how many times. I may start because I don't jet lag, but the rest of my guys jet lag pretty bad. So they'll be laying down the back pews snoring while the man of God's preaching the gospel. You know, and what did the apostle say? <laughs> well, that's not a charismatic utterance. That's just a guy wheezing back there that was on a long plane ride. And, uh, that's what that is. But several times I've taken some text that I felt like God wanted to start. And the next church, you get up, you know, isn't it strange? But where Brother Dale finished is where I feel to start. And we've gone on five straight days like that, rotating teachers. And when, in one case, all the way through a whole, a Bible book in leaps and bounds and never talked to the other person about what, how many of them might be God? And the testimony in the house is, we're hearing from God. This can't be. These guys didn't even have a briefing to decide who's going to teach what. It's just, it's God. That's the deal. So I want to encourage you. I know there's a team up right now in terms of your new move that has to do with locating facilities. That's a godly deal. We were over there yesterday. There's a bunch of guys around. And how many know the right questions come up? Because in the midst of counsel, wisdom arises. And, and so... You or I together may not have all the questions. Therefore, we don't have all the answers. But when everybody talks in a different set of eyes come, that's why if you go to the hospital and you have some unknown thing, they'll bring a team of doctors in uh, with various disciplines. And this one's looking for that. And pretty soon, well, what about this? And pretty soon it evidences because so many people are looking at you. Same. 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 So who's the team that's going to pray for the sick here at New Life? Who's the team that's going to think about hearing prophetic utterances for the house? For the house. I, li- I, like, I like it when churches develop prophetic teams that have to do with the house. Not just, oh, the Lord says, I see you in Tennessee. Why? Because you were too broke to go to Hawaii. No, no, that, that wasn't. No, no. Uh, personal prophecy is wonderful. But how many know the house needs to hear? Guess we're put in the house. So uh, one church I love to go to is up Minnesota, Minneapolis area. They have a really mature prophetic team. I think it's either nine or 11 folks. 
And on there are two or three people, just one's a teenage girl, uh, a couple of young men and college students because nearby is McAllister University. But they're prophetically inclined. Once in a while they hear stuff. Sometimes they just have pizza back up, but they, they hear from God periodically. But here's older people that are willing to extend grace if they make a mistake. They won't make it again because they'll be corrected, but they'll be instructed in the correction, not rebuked. You following? Yes, yes, yes. Make it a learning event, not a psalm off at the knees. So the lady that leads that group is wonderful. She's a surgical nurse at a local hospital. First name is Jean. So I go when I'm there. I love to go to the just to listen and watch it. So, <laughs> so she sat down next to me. She's a very gentle soul. And she leaned over and she said, Pastor. She flips up a little piece of paper. She said, is this your text today? 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, 10. Is this your? I said, I opened my Bible. Exact. She said, it's going to be good, she said. She knew what I was going to preach. Wow. How, how, what a wonderful confirmation. Yes. Now, I'm sitting there from thousands of miles away, yeah. but the lady of God said, how's this? Yeah. Felt like I could attack hell with a squirt gun. I mean, you just... How many know when you know it's God? You just know it's God. There's such authority and release in that. Yes. It's wonderful. One of the guys on that uh, prophetic council is an architect. So when he prophesies, it goes like this. Because this brother's name is Chris. He sees stuff. And he declares out of the scene... So he'll say, you know, the word of the Lord has come into me like, and he'll start with a landscape or this or that. And you, I mean, you can see what he's painting at the end. No question about what the Lord is saying to him, because that's his world. That's how he, are you following where we're going with this? How wonderful that is. I love that. Prophetic counsel is not to be silly. It's to hear the voice of the Lord for the house. I taught this course in our church in California. And a lot of funny things happen. First time prophets. One guy got really frustrated. Well, he's a triple A personality. You know, I knew he'd be first. This man, a guy, Angelo. Okay, Angelo. Everybody, 77 in the class. No one saved more than a year. So they're red hot for Jesus, right? So, Angelo. <laughs> I said, okay, now we're going to prophesy. And that means speaking what God brings to mind after you came in this room. Yeah. You don't dream about it all day and rehearse. And, and no, no, no. You'll feel this nudge from heaven. You know it's not you. You didn't think about it all day. So from that, so everybody look at Angelo. Eyes open. No King Jim. Yea, the Lord saith, the palaces of Shushan. Where in the world is that? <laughs> so we're not doing that. <laughs> the Lord says he's backed up against the wall the Lord says the Lord uh, I thought he was going to break his pen the Lord says well he said something let me see that. Uh, drink of water the Lord says oh hell I forgot so <laughs> what did he say what did he? <laughs> so I begin to pray in the spirit for wisdom, because how many know the guy's frying an oil? Yeah. I mean, he's 
And the Lord gave me a word. I said, okay, just just a minute, because the rest of oh, I hope that doesn't happen to me, that I get lost. I said, Angela, just a minute. I could see, and I did. I could see the glory of God come like a bright light coming on his head. Pulled the trigger too quick. I said, you know what? We got the Dear John piece, but the letter, you didn't wait on it. So I'll tell you what, I know you're going to be able to prophesy, because the Bible said you all may. Permission granted. So we've got a few weeks for this course yet. When you get the rest of this, you signify and you're on. Okay? Well, it almost killed the class. Oh, that's worst fear is getting lost in the middle of a prophecy. But the next day, I had to park way out in the far end of the parking lot. I'm coming by and halfway in is Angelo's car. He's beating on a steering wheel. He's talking in tongues. I can hear it eight feet away from his car. He's beating the steering wheel in this car. Well, something's up. So he come in and he came to me straight away at the podium. He said, Pastor, I've got it. I've got it. I know what the Lord said. I know it is. I said, okay, we're gonna, we'll get to you first. Now, our senior pastor teaches after me. So, when the bell rings twice, you need to be done and your book closed and going out the door. <laughs> He's our leader. <laughs> well, I had Angelo rip out his prophecy, man. So much glory fell. We couldn't do anything for the next two hours. Two hours of blessing. I went out the door. Bela's out there. I said, Bela's coming. He said, I'm not going in there. You caused this train wreck. <laughs> he said, but man, there's so much anointing. He said, I'm exhausted. I've been at this conference. And I, I told him, I only want to preach once a day. They had me up three times. I'm exhausted. He said, no, I'm glad. I'm just let me be refreshed. Get back in there and take care of this. He just, so he, somewhere he left. But I wanted to defer to my own pastor. There was no deferring to anything. For two hours, we could hardly, we were so taken by, with God. How many know one call, one purpose of prophecy is to bless, just to bless, to raise the tide of the anointing. That's what he did. And it so reversed everything that happened the week before. He still is one of the main prophetic voices in the church. Because the big church, 11,000 member church, the people up in the gallery, they could yell down front, you wouldn't hear it. So, they just take any card that's got a blank on it. Fill out the word, sign it and date it, and just hold it up. The ushers are trained. They'll come get it. It'll go right down to the people running the service. Maybe pastor or some of the staff. Whoever's the service coordinator will get that. So what we teach the prophetic people is this. The the responsibility of a prophetic person is to hear. Not to rule the church. But to hear for the church. Your responsibility ends when the usher takes that card. Except to live out whatever God said to you. Whatever the word is for the house is also for you personally. So live that out. But for the house, the pastor is the keeper on the wall. Or whoever's leading the thing. So you leave it there and let those who are charged by God to manage the whole flock. And these are young believers. Okay, that's how you do God. Yeah, that's how we do stuff here. So a lady named June Brown, June Brown, in January, I was in the service when it happened, had a word from the Lord. I just pick it up, goes down front. Nothing said in that service. Which the students know, it, it may not. It may, but it may not. Let it be with the, because the other part of the prophetic is not just hearing, it's appropriateness and timing. When does it fit and under what circumstances? Now let's come all the way down to July. And Pastor and I were preaching through the Corinthian gifts. Okay? 
And it's his night. And the Bible study wasn't huge for our church, but it'd be 15 to 1,500 to 1,700 people. 40 minutes straight through the text. A lot of fun with the Bible. Pastor got in the middle of things and he said, is June Brown here? And she was. He said, June, God bless you, sis. You had a word on whatever the last Sunday was of January. He said, I'm happy to tell you that was a word you heard from God. And it fits right here, right now. He read the word right off the page that she had written, read her words. Presence falls next 40 minutes. Now, how do you think she felt? These guys are listening. They, they are trying to respond to God. And look what my word did to bless this place. How do you feel when you know God's used you? And here to bless the whole church. And man, I mean, it was on the button. When pastor started reading, I could feel fire just start falling on me. It was amazing. From the lady saved about two months. Let's see. This is the final thing I'll give you. It's 1157, Gabby. What's, what's the address? <laughs> she think, she thinks I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't care if it's in Augusta. We'll be up there. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just fooling. Bless you. You have a great day. And, good. and Lord, we pray this house sells at the right price. In the, bless our sister with a sale in Jesus' name. Okay. One more thing, and I'll quit. Leaders have to learn to depend on supernatural supply. Supernatural supply. How do we get more for God's kingdom? Pray it in. Worship it in. Thank God for what you don't have yet. How do we put three kids through law school at $150,000 a piece? Another one within two classes of an MBA. How did all that happen? And pay for all that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did it. (laughs) I'm as broke as a naked goose, but we did it. No, 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 no. I don't mean that. And I'm not bragging on us. We just learned years ago, if God's in it, you don't have to strain. Amen. You know, watch that lily. Uh, what's the burden? Here? I mean, God uses nature to get us past the pressure points. Yes. Past the pressure points. Two of my kids were paid to go to university. Grants and scholarships. Tens of thousands of dollars. Out of a little Christian school, my oldest son, John, $29,000 a year to go to the University of California at Berkeley. Wow. National honor student. Wow. When he was done, zero bills. Wow. Maritime a lawyer today, maritime attorney. $150,000 now is nothing for him. When we looked at it, we said, can we do this? The answer was no. We don't have 15000 a month for him to go to law school. So we said, Lord, we believe that's his assignment. I mean, my kids didn't have to be lawyers to, to please us. This, we said, you find your destiny, we'll support it, but you have to find it. That's what he felt it was even settled by some prophetic confirmation. And, uh, well, we do. And uh, I've got three of mine are practicing law today. Some days, like the Supreme Court meets in my house. Don't mess with me. At barbecue, I had 17 lawyers in my yard. <laughs> Don't fall down. <laughs> Don't choke on a bone, not at my house. <laughs> we'll sue you for choking. 
Making the atmosphere mucked up here. We have to get beyond the normal to the supernatural, touching the natural. That's my point, is that when we get to the limits of things, why could David say, I've been young and I'm old, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. They didn't beg. Why? Because there's a God. Remember Hagar in the desert? Abraham sends her out. She's out in the desert. Why? He sent her out there to die with an infant. And God shows up. God didn't like it. Here's what you need to know, lady. There's a God who sees you. I'm watching. And you have a bigger destiny than you know. Your son also will be a descendant of many nations. We call them today Arabs. Multiplied millions. Took a castaway and built. Watch what happens when God touches the natural environment. People don't even like you. Loan you money. That's the truth. He'll give you favor with people who have no plan to help do anything to make this church a success. But they won't be able to sleep at night. And you need to pray that way. Those that have the resources, Lord, let them be awake quite a bit. (laughs) Until they hear that voice from heaven. One story about this. I've told it to you before, but it fits right here. This will be my closer for sure. A friend of mine was really a fine furniture builder. It was his craft. Beautiful pieces. Beautiful. Sometimes he had to build a house, but he'd only build a house with a contract to build all the furniture going in it. Because that's what he really wanted to do. The rest was for him, flim flam. So in one summer in my life before I was married, he had a house right on the ocean front, and the people were in Europe for six months, so it needed a house sitter. I was glad to stay there. I went from here to the street from the beach, from the water. It's wonderful. And up second level, it's beautiful. So one day he called me and he said, I want you to meet me in a couple of days at such and such a marina and such and such a pier and such and such a slip. I said, well, just meet me over there, 8 o'clock. Okay. So I go over there. He is standing on the deck of a 164-foot-long schooner-rigged boat. Pretty nice. And he's a very shy guy. Now, he's married to a Cajun lady, so she's the warm face on his business. He just likes to build stuff. That's his. He's happy singing, making stuff. I said, and he had already built 41 boats. And giving them to missionaries who work among islands and up in rivers and stuff. His boats were classics, not just okay, because of his interest. All the wearing and all that stuff. I said, you're going to buy this thing? He said, you know, this boat would be a perfect floating hospital in Tonga and Samoa. Because they have a, a coral reef that you need near shallow. Dra- I don't know all about it. I said, well, yeah, it's certainly big enough. And, you know, the whole... And I said, why? Are, are you going to buy this? No, I can't afford this thing. You know, it was a for sale sign hanging on one of the masts. So down at the end, a limousine drives up, and a guy gets out of it and is walking very fast with a brief. I thought, oh, no, that's got to be the owner. It was. And he is a mad dog lawyer from San Francisco, and he's in a hurry. So you guys, either one of you or you guys, you've got enough money to buy this thing. You know, my former wife and I hate her in big 
stream of effective comes out of it. And I hate this boat. And I, she was sleeping with guys in here on this boat. And I want this thing. And I hate her and hate this thing and hate everything. He just goes off. We're just standing there aghast. Now I figured out my friend is not comfortable talking to a guy like this. So he's asked me to. <laughs> at which time I wanted to take his body parts and throw them in the salt. But I couldn't. And so this guy, I said, just, just a minute, just a minute. I said, man, you're rude. Well, who the, mm, are you? I said, well, this is who I am, and this is who. I said, do you some, I need to tell you about this guy. I don't care about him. Who's going to buy this boat? I said, come on, Jim, let's go. Let's get it. No, 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 yeah. Say what you, but hurry up. I'm a, I'm a guy in a hurry. I said, oh, I can tell you're in a hurry to a heart attack the way you act. So I tell him about my friend. I said, you know, there's people alive that, up in the tributaries in, in Guyana and everywhere else because this guy makes boats. And this, he wants to use for a floating hospital in South Pacific. What a noble thing. I don't care about that. I just, who's got the million six for the buy this? Well, I'm, you know, Jim never had any business cards or anything. His wife wasn't there. You know, I think he'd go out without his pants. Well, I had a crumble up business card, so I'm shove it in the guy's hand so he'll, well, you guys, this, this, I said, I want you to give him this bill. What? You bought me down here? Oh, this, I mean, we got cussed sideways. But he jammed my card in his pocket and took off and commanded us that the police are going to kick us out. And they should have. I mean, it was, I said, Jim, don't you ever. It's the worst morning I've ever had, I think. Well, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was pretty sure we're not going back there. I was on a Thursday morning, 8 o'clock. That lawyer didn't sleep that night. Or Friday night. Or Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday night. Wednesday morning, because he had my card, I happened to be back home, and he called me. Because that's the only contact he had. You the guys on that boat? He's still hypered up this far off the floor. He said, what kind of juju do you put on me, man? I can't sleep. What's a, you guys, witches are, I said, no, you mean warlocks. Yeah, that too. What are you, he's just panting on the phone. Is the address on here right? I said, what do you mean right? Yeah, it's current that it's my address. I'm sending you a body of paper, sign on the red X. You can have that thing. $1.64 million. Just get this juju off of me. I said, as soon as we've signed and you've signed, I'm signing, you'll be able to sleep. <laughs> we never saw him again. I didn't want to see him again. That boat served for 10 years in the South Pacific till a typhoon threw it up on the shore of the wood, so it broke it. But served thousands of people. And that was my beginning in God of learning how to exercise faith. I didn't even know that's what it was until after the fact. I began to rationalize this way. If God could take a violent sinner, full of the devil and full of anger and hateful, and twist him around in his own bed so he can't sleep, to give us an asset of $1.64 million with no strings attached, what else might God be able to do? Let's stand and give God a praise. Come on. Lord, we bless you today. Come on, help me praise him. We bless you today. We bless you. Because you have got things under your control. Yes, you do. Glory to God. 
We pray in advance with great joy that everything New Life needs to do what they need to do will come in their way, in their direction from heaven, with the touch of God on it. And Lord, we say yes to whomever you touch to bring it in. We're going to thank you in advance that your work goes forward, blessed and prosperous as you planned for it. Uh, bless my friends today. They're coming in and going out. Bless their houses and the kids. We just pray that you'll bless those that could have, should have been here and can't be for other reasons. And we thank you in advance for a great morning tomorrow where Jesus is glorified and your people are blessed. And everyone in the room said, Amen. Bless your neighbor a minute before you go. Bless you again. Amen. Share with us what's on your heart. Well, God bless you today. I'm a little bit nostalgic because for me, this is probably the last time I'll be in this meeting, is this, I mean, in this building. And, uh, I reminisced of some years ago, the very first time I came here, it was not like this. I promise you. Just right in here somewhere, birds had easy exit, in and out, right straight out. Isn't that true, Steve? You bought me here. And, uh, the church was a, a, a good, robust Bible study meeting over where the child care is. And uh, I think you call it the blue room then, didn't you? It was green room or... Tim, I think I'm really high now, so if you could... I don't want to blow folks out of here. But the blue room in most cultures is the toilet. So I don't know what he meant in those days, but it was over there. I mean, I don't know where the toilets were, but that's what that was called. And after a while, a lot of work and effort and money, all this happened. And... uh, uh so here we are. So for me, this is probably the last time to, to speak in this building, as it is. And eventually, if you come here, you'll need to be ill. So <laughs> that would be the reason to show up, if I've heard the story right. Which brings me to where I'd like to start today. I'd really like, in the couple hours we have together, to talk about three things. And uh, I think in this first section, because of level of importance... Uh, how many know you're in the middle of a move? So I think I would call this little piece kind of the prophetic atmosphere uh, and the fact that we're not headed towards it. We're in it. We are just in it. And how many know in a prophetic atmosphere what we're asking God to do is let us hear what's on his mind. We need to hear. The nature of prophecy is some hear so they can speak, and when the declaration is made, the rest of us want to hear what has the Lord said. And if you just go through the Bible carefully, there's times when God speaks repeatedly about stuff, and then there's times when he doesn't talk at all. And when that happens, we get uncomfortable and think he's abandoned us. No, he hasn't abandoned us. He's just calling us to higher purpose. So here's some things that, that I think eventually will, will look like prophetic, even though I'm not going to yell at you and say, thus saith the Lord. It's just a moment where God is declaring things over the house. One is, there will be a change in this house. And part of that change is location. And it's very easy, uh, very easy, and it's human to get caught up in the minutia, which means buildings and money and what do we need to do and licensing and transferring and moving stuff. And how I many know you're going to find out you guys have bought a lot of stuff that occupies this space. And um, when we moved to Texas, we had lived 31, ho- 31 years in the same house. 
And uh, we certainly were guilty of this practice. A garage is not just for cars in America. It's for boxing and pushing. And there are there were several boxes of things that went up in the mezzanine in the garage 31 years before that had never been opened. Out of sight. And if you keep doing that, finally the mover, who was a... Asian man said, Mr. Dale, you have so much junk. <laughs> His bid wasn't right. He had to hire another truck to carry all the stuff that was up there. I said, well, you did the estimate. I didn't lie to you. I told you it was full. He said, oh, I should have looked. I should, so I gave him extra money because he was right. He should have looked. Uh, <clears throat> but my talk in this part is not about how much stuff is in the building that will need to be moved or somehow dealt with. It's that issue of moving. And uh, let me talk about the business side first because it's very, very important, but it's not the end game. It's just one more step on the way to the end game. Amen. But it's an important one. We have to know the condition of things. The Bible says that. When it says know the condition of your flocks, means if you're a farmer, you better know what they look like and know about their health. Uh, years ago, not too many years ago, I was on a sheep ranch in New Zealand uh, owned by, at the time, a 94-year-old gentleman from Scotland. And I was there because the man who took me there bought, uh, 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 through all of New Zealand, about 30 million pounds of sheep carcasses and shipped them to Asia every year. And we're driving down the road, and he said, how'd you like to see a, a real, really good sheep ranch? I said, I'd, I'd like that. So we went on this peninsula. There was only one fence here. All there was water, so that was natural boundary. 50,000 head of sheep. 50,000 head, which the owner called the Woolies. The Woolies. And uh, while we, 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 we just got there, because we were going to have lunch with this fellow, uh, in his house, a van pulled up from one of the local universities, and all these bright young students got out with clipboards and, and data sheets and everything else. And Oh, sir, have you considered what research shows? Don't know a thing about the Blanken research, but I know a good bit about the Woolies. So this young guy's spouting off, making some noise. And he said, well, young man, let me, I don't know anything about what you just said. I don't know anything about that. But why do you suppose all those sheep have their noses pointed in the same direction at this time of the day? What's the reason for that? I don't know about the research, but I know about those sheep. And I know why they're looking at Do you know? And here's even the professors, two of them, and 15 people. They're going, no, we don't know. Then you don't know a thing about the blinking sheep. So I was afraid to ask anything in that atmosphere. But So when we were done with lunch, they were gone. And I said, so how do you know a healthy sheep because he was known for that and my friend who was a meat broker said i only came here one time i never had a problem lamb or sheep from him in 25 years not once because he wouldn't sell them he wouldn't if they were any way a problem it didn't come and he said so there were sheep everywhere he said well you just grab them here and grab them there and you're looking for this and you're looking the well his eyes were developed to see that whole healthy animal and I'm saying to you, you're on the way to something bigger. And in the Bible, when these kinds of changes came, leadership or location, it became an opportunity for an entire new environment. Yes. You can write that down. Yes. God's taking us somewhere to do something brand new and fresh. 
Now, when new comes up in, the, in, in, in church world, it doesn't often go down well. But God's always renewing. Yes, he uh, he's put in his Bible, you know, repent, be baptized, so you can enjoy seasons of refreshing. Why? Because how many reckon periodically we need it? We, we go through stuff and we have, need God to come and splash over us and brighten us up, freshen us up. And uh, how many know if you've had a long car ride, you, you drove 15 hours? You're just, you have gluteus rectangulus, you know. You, and, and so physically, physically, you didn't do enough to take 10 calories off yourself. But the weariness of being in a car creates a tiredness in it. We can't wait to get our shoes off, get under the shower, get a little bit, and get in that bed of ours. And it could be a bed made out of field stone, but it's so much better than sitting in that car. Isn't that true? So, so tiredness comes through many different portals. It comes. You can sit in the chair all day and deal with problems. If you solve the complaints, in the company where you work, you'll be beat up by the time you leave there at the end of the day for things you didn't do, but you had to listen to it. And that brings its own... And plus, on top of that, we have demons in the universe of which the scripture says, be careful that you don't wear out as a saint. You have the potential of wearing out. So I'm telling you that before you is not just a move from here to there, wherever there is, yet to be determined, uh, this move has something to do with God's providence over this house to take you to a whole new day. Listen, when Israel crossed the Jordan River, they're finally in the land that was promised. And what the first thing they have to do? Fight. First thing up is this place called Ai, or however else you say it. they got to fight. Next place up, Jericho. Well, Lord, you promised. He said, what I promised is... You would take your land a little at a time. And then when they crossed over, guess what? The cloud disappears. That's the only guidance those people had ever known. Because all the old people died in the wilderness. God wouldn't let the old ones in, except Joshua and Caleb. I think I should just stop. And Lord, put a benediction on this meeting so we can get out of here. <laughs> you know, I... Steve, I should have come here to sell vitamins. I mean, that's <laughs> trips to the spa. <laughs> God said they can't come in and put them two years. You read it in the Bible, in Exodus. Two years at River Jared, which would be roughly at the bottom of the Dead Sea on the east corner, the southeast corner. You stop there until the, the old people die. Whatever's left of them, they're going to die. I only want new people going in. That's what he said. Why? Because when they got to the river and crossed over, the guidance system leaves. All they had known the way God leads is gone. They look up and there's no cloud in the sky and no fire pillar at night. It's gone. How would that affect you? I think I'd be frightened. The only thing that got me anywhere is that cloud and pillar. And now it's nowhere to be seen. Why? When you're in the promised land, you don't need that. You have him. Not as cloud, you have him. See? So what was there was better, but it was it came into being by the absence of something known. Now you think that one's through. Something is taken away, and that is the new reality. Thank you for your approval. 
It's the fruit of being, you know, the Bible says wisdom is with the elderly. So we're broken down, but we're sure smart. Oh, glory to God. <laughs> and here's what happened. They needed to eat, and guess what? There's, there's, there's no coconut-covered puffs falling on the ground. There's nothing to eat. And God said, you go eat the parched grain of Cana. What was that? So let's go down to Publix when we leave here and walk in there and say to God, wash my mind of anything I've ever known about food consumption in this part of Florida. And then you look up and nothing you've ever seen is before you. That's what they went through. They knew nothing but manna all those years. And that day, there's no more manna. But there is this burnt corn stuff, whatever that is. And how many reckon there were some people whose palate didn't adjust to that very quickly? What am I saying to you? I'm saying a new day brings all kinds of new conditions, new presentations in front of us. And what God wants us to do is not buck up and say, my God, that can't be from heaven. Well, if we've asked God for bread, is he going to send a stone? No, he's not. He's going to send what's appropriate for the moment. How many knew a new day? I mean, last Saturday night, uh, my youngest son and I were invited to a birthday party. And uh, when the announcement came, uh, this is black tie. Well, I haven't been to a birthday party in a long time. It was a black tie affair. And it named a restaurant, but I wanted to go eat where, where this was going down because it's really a very fine dinner house in Houston. And, uh, now I was okay. I had a black suit and tie and all that stuff, but my son, you know, board shorts, flip flops and a tee top from the Astros. That's, that's, that's Sunday morning dress, right? For him. He said, it's a what? I said, it's a black tie thing. You have a black tie? Yeah, but I've never even worn it. It's brand new. Mom gave it to me. I couldn't understand why. I said, well, tonight's the why. So he got two mismatched blacks on and wore his nice white Nike sneakers to the black tie dinner, which was really fun. It was a birthday party for an important person in our church. And uh, they're a Nigerian couple. The lady is a pediatrician. In fact, at UT Pediatrics, he's the doctor of the year this year. And he's the head of the uh, CPA Association for all of Texas. So they're very productive people. And we went to this lovely thing. Well, that was on the invite. That's the dress code. They didn't say anything about shoes. So my boy got in with his Nikes. Didn't quite work with a black suit, but you, know, you could see his feet in the dark. So that was nice. <laughs> uh, but some others showed up and... Uh, for black tie, a little different item. One Hawaiian shirt showed up and... But he was Hawaiian, so I guess that that made it go. What I'm saying to you is, God's about to provide what's appropriate for the next season. How many know now we're here in the summer, it's hot and humid in Florida? I live in a similar climate. We're praying for the end of September. (laughs) When the wind comes from the north, we say, thank you, Lord, for all the dust and bugs and whatever's in the north, let it blow on us now. We need relief. But we know it's coming, and how many know January, it's not going to be like this. More comfortable, less heat, less sun, more rain, probably. And that's what's going to come. It's irrevocable. Let me tell you, God said, you know, 
What do, what do you think Jeremiah meant when he said, when I get up in the morning and deal with God, I see new mercies. New mercies, I see. How often? Every day. Something new. How many kids what I'm trying to say to you? So it's not just a move physically from here to there. I'm telling you, you're moving into a new prophetic day. You're going to hear much more about the kingdom of God and less about being a local church. Hmm? See, when, uh, when Jesus was on earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's the record of it, he didn't talk very much about churches. Only a couple of times did he say anything about it. But he talked massively about this. The good news is the king is here, and he's here to build a kingdom. And from Acts onward... The kingdom of God's only mentioned a couple of times all the way through the, rest of the whole Bible because local churches is where he's doing that. And the kingdom he's trying to capture is located here. This is, this is his war ground and here. How many has ever struggled with your thoughts trying to follow Jesus? So we're coming to a day where if Jesus is now Lord and King, well, what happened to Jesus before planet Earth? He's sailing around heaven with a, with the Holy Spirit and the Father doing what God does. Make stuff. Making stars and moons and universes, plural. So there and then, he's the Son of God. That'd be right? That's what he called himself, so that'd be right. Dale, you're right. That, it's right. But he hasn't affected earth yet. So does God not choose a little virgin girl, impregnate her supernaturally, and through that channel, in fact, the, the, the Greek and Hebrew doesn't even say he was born. It says he was formed. That's not normal birth. He was formed. That's the technical word that was used. And when he showed up on planet Earth, some people are yelling, there's a baby in the barn, but what a baby. <laughs> what do we have here? The Son of God shows up like a natural human being. Why? Because he was not yet the anointed son of man until he was born on planet Earth. Now he's the son of God for sure, but he took on. He didn't think it ill or sinful to be counted equal with God because he was God. So says Philippians. But he took on the form of a servant. Why? So we could relate to him. At all points, he was tempted as we are, but he did not sin. He didn't sin. And so he became the son of man so we could respond to him and relate to him. You know, as he is by himself as God, pretty hard to think about hanging out with God. Just straight on. But if we see him as a man as he traveled and so on, that's a different matter. We can relate to one another this way. So I'm saying to you to be redundant and repetitive, you're headed to a new day, not just a new place. Okay? Uh, since I'm a friend of the house up till now, in spite of your demanding, I confess, age and all that unscrupulous, <laughs> obscene information, um, I'm going to speak plainly here today because of the importance I feel about your future. And how good it is, the thing God is about to do. There's great liberties with this building. There's been a lot of blessing fall here. I know the struggles from the beginning. I know the blessings from the beginning. Now God's taking you something new. You know what? You've passed the test. You passed the test. 
So one of the things that's involved with the, with the new is dealing with our history. It's not an anchor to hold us. It's a platform to move on. Uh, I'm old enough to think about what legacy am I leaving for my four kids and in ministry. Legacy is not about inheritance, goods or money or property transferred. It's about, it's, it's about what have I left to develop the future in the next generation. It's not static. It's, it's dynamic. What's in me? What am I going to pass off? To the next generation, first my children, then broadly in ministry across the world. That'll do something for the future in a massive way or an influential way. What is that? And so this is preparing you for that. See, it's not inconsequential where you've been. But we can't, uh, you know, it, it, uh, I'm, I'm sure it offends God, and it certainly ticks me off, too, at a certain level. People say, oh, you know, in 1948 down there... First something to the other church, and the church used to be called tabernacles or temples, or they were none of that, but they were called that. Or first this or second that, and on and on. Well, the Holy Ghost just poured out, and we laid on the floor for four hours at a time in 1948. Really? Well, praise God, but has He done anything for you since 1948? Because a dynamic God is ever trying to move us to grow somewhere. I remember George Stormont, when he was 88 years old, I was having dinner with him one night in Duluth, Minnesota airport in a pouring down rain. And I said, George, what are you praying for? He said, oh, the end time revival, mate. And he said, I told the father this morning, you better hurry up. I'm 88 years old. (laughs) I said, well, you're right. Yeah, 88, you see. God send a revival. I think what we mean when we say that is take us somewhere where life broke out that was precious to us. And uh, there was great joy and God was easy to touch and we were filled or blessed or delivered or something. Well, those are wonderful moments, but how many know you can't linger there? If you linger there, you're monument building to something that will pass. What will pass? The emotional stream around that not the reality that's happened inwardly but the emotional stream around it that will subside what about moving on how long has it been since you've had a word from the lord yes. and you knew the next step is something and when it comes to a church movement uh, the primary person to hear is going to be this fellow right here on the front row i don't need to know the will of god for the church i belong to and serve because it has a pastor but I pray every morning that he hears. And that through him, I can get enough of that to serve him and what's going on there. Does that make any sense? So I don't know. Well, God didn't tell me. Well, he didn't appoint you either. I mean, come on, get off of that pony. Yeah, you're not the headship. I'm not the headship of the house. So I don't need to know. What I need to do is come with a bowl and towel to serve. So whatever the word of the Lord, amen, we're signing up for that. But God didn't tell me, well, you're not the arbitrator of the will of God in the house. And neither am I. I'm, I'm not. You know, when John Kirkpatrick's having that big move over in Brownsville, uh, he said from the platform, I'm there with him. I addressed that gathering on a number of occasions. It was wonderful. But he said in his remarks to the audience, which were people from all over the world, 
The only people that are assigned to pray for people at the end of the service have name badges. Look for a badge if you want to be prayed for by somebody. I didn't have a badge. I'm his personal guest. I didn't have a badge. So I just went and sat down at the end of the meeting. I just went and sat down where I had been, next to his chair, and he was praying for a few people. And people getting a big line in front of me. And I finally stood up. I said, Am I, was there something in the program I missed that I should? Yes, what do you want to be prayed for? I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Why? I said, do you see a badge on me? No, I said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not qualified. But you spoke. I know I spoke. But the pastor said, you see the example of that? I wasn't trying to be a, a do-gooder. I'm trying to obey what the man of God said. Amen. And do it in a public. And there had to be 25 people. In line to, so I'd pray for him. No. I, I can't. Then the sound obscene for a minute say, no, I can't pray for you. When I'm sitting there in good health and strong enough to do it. No, I just sat down. And finally, I moved back, way back in the bandstand. So I didn't have people coming around asking a non-tag person to pray for them. Because people with needs don't care who prays, badge or no badge, for them, they just want to get prayed for. So I'm not faulting them. I'm just saying I felt under God, simple thing. And at, after we're in the back at, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the morning, John said to me, man, you could have gone ahead. I said, no, I couldn't have. Why? I heard what you said. He said, thank you for that. Because we've got people here that would break every rule. They'd lay on the floor all night. They'd obstruct doorways. And some of them are even bishops (laughs) to get somebody to lay hands on them for something. I said, well, I might step on them, but I don't know if I'd like to put them. I'll lay hands on you. You see. So we're going to a new day. And I'm asking you to do, because you're good-hearted. I know you're the core. Say, okay, we're going to follow the leading of the Lord here. And we're listening for a sound of something fresh. I'll just tell you a little of what I've been hearing, not just about your church, but about the the days that are right ahead of us. You'll be hearing much more about the kingdom of God, about the authority of Jesus. Read Daniel chapter 7. It's kind of in the middle of the chapter. Here's what Daniel saw. He said, I saw somebody like the ancient of days. Who is that? Yeah, it's Father God, right? And they brought before him the ancient of days. One like the Son of Man. Who's that? That's Jesus. And to him, that's Jesus, is given a kingdom and authority and power and dominion. And his kingdom will be everlasting. That's way back in Daniel's day. Now go to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 and onward. And to him was given power and authority over all rulers and all dominions and all, and his throne will be established forever. Who's that same guy Daniel was talking about? Paul's talking about him and reinforcing that. Okay. And then you get in the New Testament to the book of Revelation. Holy, holy, holy. One four of Revelation is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come the Almighty. Same in four eight. He is, was, and will be. That last piece looks like it's future. In English, it is that, but not in Hebrew. It's a perfect present. Now, the perfect tense works like this. Mostly in the Bible, you see past perfect. Like in John 16, the Bible says about the devil, 
the prince of this world, and who is that? Has been judged with a D-E-D on the end of it. What does that sound like? Okay, that's how perfect tense. So way back here somewhere in time, and I would beg that would be the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension. That's one whole cycle of things. Satan was dealt with. The prince of this world has been judged, and it's a Greek word for penalized. So the the sentence has already been issued over him. He's going to a lake that's warmer than Florida in August. He is, or Houston for that matter, it's been 100 since May. He's going there. That's his destination's already said. How many know he's opposing that directive? But that's where he's going to go. Last thing the whole world will see is his behind going down on the sulfur. Thank you, God, for that day. And hasten the day, please. Okay? That's where he's headed. That's perfect tense. Somewhere in history, an action happened, and the beneficial effect of that action continues into my present moment and onward into the future. We don't even know where it ends. But it comes to right now. So not only was he judged through the physical ministry of Jesus, he's judged right now. Why would you want to resurrect him and beat the devil up every day? I'm tearing down strongholds. Get over that. You don't need to tear him down. He's been judged. And it goes on. It goes on. But that's not how revelation works. That phrase, there's a big word this long in Greek. I can't even pronounce it without having a charismatic thing go on. But it's a, it, it's a big long, it's, it's a technique of language for emphasis. It's the whole, only place in the whole Bible where the Greek language is used like this. That last phrase, and is to come, is not future. It's a present perfect. So now the action is in our day. It's not way back, it's right now, and it means some defined, clear action from God has taken place, and it, it has come from the future, and it's going back into the future. So some of what God has planned and prepared for us, he's not going to keep on hold for another day or even after the reappearing of Jesus. Not all of it. Some of it, he's going to entrust to his faithful people right here and right now. Let me say it another way. Revival's not a hundred years away. It's we're living in the days of outpouring. Well, it's the days of Elijah. Forget him. He had his day. We need a day like that right now. See, days of Elijah are wonderful, but not enough. It's the days of the manifestation of the sons of God that's enough for our day. How many know we need a 2022 moving? Not a B.C. 7th century movie. We need something from tomorrow, from the world of Jesus. How many know he's not only around us, he's ahead of us. And he's drawing from heaven's resources to put it in today's world. And here's another verse out of the old Bible, but it's wonderful. The eye of the Lord is going to and fro in the whole earth, looking for somebody to whom he can show himself powerful. Not withholding. He's just looking for some folks that will qualify <laughs> to get what he's handing out. And he's dealing with people in high places. It's mind-boggling what he's doing. My son Paul and I were at a dinner in, uh, in Lebanon last September. We were at two major ones, but this one uh, was in the home of a, 
uh, optical surgeon. Very nice place, very nice place. Lovely dinner. And uh, there was a buzz at the gate because this was a garden party. And uh, the door opened. It was the Archbishop of the Orthodox Church of Syria is at the door. And he came in for a little meet and greet. But uh, he sat down and, you know, Lebanese food. You're going to pause a while. He stayed two and a half hours with us. He happened to sit at the table where I was. And we just had the most wonderful discussion. Uh, there was no setup because I didn't know he was coming. Maybe the householder did, but I didn't know he was coming. And uh, But around our table, our discussion all afternoon was about Jesus. And so that's where we wanted to stay. Was And, that, and he just stepped right into that. When he began to talk about Jesus, the tears filled his eyes. He even sang the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, which is how it would have sounded if Jesus did it. So it was really quite an amazing night. Now here's another man from a whole different tradition. But he came there. He said, I just had a feeling when I heard about you gentlemen being here that something would be in the atmosphere that would be a blessing. And I must tell you, I needed it tonight. So he allowed us to lay hands on him and pray for him, a man over hundreds of churches and thousands of people. It's amazing where God's touching people. I mean, it's just amazing. In a normal consequence of life, I, did, I would never meet that man. I can't even conceive of a circumstance where I would be with him, especially for two and a half hours. He's a busy guy, but he needed a blessing. So he came to the right place then. So what does new look like? I don't know the face of new. And I don't even need to know it. I just feel like I'm here as sort of like John Baptist. Look at this person coming here. Uh, one of the places, Lisa, I think this affects you and your department, is there's kind of a, not kind of, there is a fresh sound coming up in the world of worship. I was recently in a meeting. My daughter took me. I wasn't going to go. Uh, never heard the, the speaker before, but I was interested in what he was saying and doing. So we went, place was packed, and packed means probably in excess of 1,400 people on a Friday night. It's packed. People stood around the walls. And the meeting started promptly at one minute before seven. We were dismissed at five minutes after 11. And it seemed like 20 minutes. Every single song was centered on Jesus. Every single song in worship went on 50 minutes. The name of Jesus was in every single piece of music. When the speaker got up, he said, I feel led to preach the gospel. Now, this is like preaching to the choir. They're there because they love Jesus for the most part. But who knew? When he gave an altar call at the Inn for Sinners, more than 200 by count some trotted down to the front and prostrated themselves, and 80% of them were sobbing in tears. That's good repentance. Yes. When the nose is running and the mascara is going so crazy and, and all that stuff. But lots of Kleenex. That's good repentance. There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. If there's no sorrow, I wonder if there's repentance. I just wonder. I just wonder. So there's a new sound coming, and just like there's new food, there's a new sound coming, and we have to get used to that because we've come out of a whole generation of celebrators. We've learned how to celebrate. It's wonderful. It's euphoric. It's, it boosts us up. 
and there's been major music generators across the world. Our Australian brothers have been some of those, the vineyard people in England, all across the U.S., other churches that just generate heaps and heaps of music, and certain worship leaders have been used of the Lord in a great way. I'm not dismaying that, but that was our history. We're going someplace. If God could just speak audibly and say, that's not the end. Come on, you're not home yet. There's... And how many know the closer we get to home, the more we'll want to identify with Jesus? Okay. So I I just want to turn this to some other things now, but I'd like you to really ask God to get your heart in anticipation of a whole new day. That you personally will, by, by intentionality, you know, I'm reading through Ephesians. I'm going to teach it line by line in my church starting in the middle of September. But in the first chapter, is twice this phrase is used. By the intention of his will, God did. He planned to do it. And out of mercy, he did it. Out of the kind intention of his will. It's the kindness of God that leads men to repentance anyway, isn't it? So let's see what's exciting that God is doing. I don't mean just to charge in our emotions, but what's really exciting authentically. Heaven's at work. How many know God's looking in on all of this? There's always, there's always lots of little details. But not only do we need the vision of the Lord to think about the bigger scene, this step needs the vision of God, and this one, and this one, and this one. Eventually you get to your goal, but it's one step at a time. So just receive that from me. I don't apologize for taking a little time with this. You're at a very important moment. I hope every one of you pray every day for the guidance of God, the favor of God, the, the peace of God over the house. And his guidance. And uh, uh, let me tell you, in all of this, uh, you know, money handling, changing, in the middle of all of this, let's be sure that we have a sense God's with us and his favor. Uh, when this is all done, I want to hear from Pastor Steve. You know what? We've had a miracle or a series of. Then we know he's put an affirmation on it. And it's, does that make sense? So, Lord, I just pray this into the life of this house today, that our hearts will be settled. I don't know any, Lord, hearts that are unsettled, but I just pray going forward, our hearts will be settled, that God is the one that's authoring all of this, and God's looking over, looking under, looking through this entire matter. Lord, we're just following you. Give every heart in this room and others that would be part of this group normally a very keen sense that you've already settled in heaven what you want to do. and Help us to be gripped by that and walk it out in Jesus' name. And in this part of this journey with this house, with great joy, saying, of all the things that happened, this is our testimony. The Lord has brought us through. The Lord has brought us over. Thank you, Lord, in advance, because you're going to bring some of heaven in our direction. And we need it. We're thanking you in advance for things we don't even understand yet. But we thank you for doing something in our behavior and our half. In Jesus' name. All right. And amen and amen and amen. Uh, Let me talk a few minutes, and we'll take uh, five minutes for a break, uh, about... uh, about vision, about vision. In one sense, it means seeing what's not here yet. So to add to that, vision always deals with the future. 
deals with a moment that's not here yet. And God's people have to be visionaries to see what is not as though it is. That it's going to come like those Revelation verses from the future into the present tense. You need a building you don't have yet. You need a sense of what God wants to do in a new way, in a new place. We don't have all of those pieces yet. Okay? So we start thanking God for what is not. I would, I would guess just because we're humans, there's not any of us in this building could not quickly recite a need or some goal in God we'd like the Lord to fulfill in the near range because at our age we don't have long to get stuff done. Okay? At least a few of us. There's certain people that are not through puberty yet and they're acting like it, I might add. But, but, on the serious side, that there, there's a need, there's a level of, of something consequential uh, for us as a person to be a high-value matter. And if we could just open ourselves before God, we say, God, if you could do one thing, here's my blank and fill this in with this. I'd really appreciate And by the way, if you could do it by 3 o'clock today, it'd be... It'd be. Why is it we Americans have this sense of hurry up all the time? Have you been to an airport recently? It's insane. Airplanes do not leave early. But people are standing in line for 40 minutes with their little boarding pass to get on an airplane for which they have an assigned seat and which will not leave early because of all the rules of airplanes coming and going, especially big cities. You're going... I know who frequent flyers are and who aren't. Because frequent flyers are still in the lounge or they're at page 300 in the middle of a novel over in the corner. The rest of these people are going to see grandma. How do I know? They got 489 pounds of baggage. Have you noticed that? They've got a dog and a cat and their baggage has got tumors and it's got nine tires on it to make this thing work and a kid and all this stuff. I mean, old grandmas, they got a dog under their arm. It's amazing. It's just mind boggling. I just want to say, sit down! The plane is out there. You can't hide that thing. It's there. It's there. And you've got this passage that said, 4B is your, you're going to put your behind in 4B. Oh no. We, we got to be in line so we can get on that airplane. When we bring that cultural issue in front of God, and one of his names is eternity. (laughs) He's neither rushed nor hurried about anything. Have you noticed? Black people have a wonderful song, you know. And it says, in part, one phrase says, God's been holding on a mighty long time. (laughs) That's a great song. We feel that way. God, why don't you hurry up? Because he's always looking from the perspective of eternity. And how many know that's longer than today? Longer than our lifetime. If we can do something today that's going to affect the second generation from now, I want to be about it. I don't even have to see it. I just want to make the investment of my life to see to it two generations from now, the glory of God's able to fall on somebody. So vision always deals with the future. Always. Always. Always deals with the future. And here's the deal for us. 
Jesus is already standing at whatever point in the future we think we need to get to. Just follow me. I'm out here. I'm where I need to bring you. I've looked. I've seen. I've prepared the way. I'm here. I'm, I'm out here. There's no such thing as a leap in the dark for followers of Jesus. If we leap, we're leaping into the arms of Jesus Christ. How many know that's safe ground? It's always dealing with the future. I might just add, uh, if you can do whatever your vision is, you probably haven't heard from God yet. A real vision takes God to either rescue it, but certainly his help to do it. If it doesn't require supernatural help, it's probably not God. Yeah, I'm not trying to shoot your balloons out of the air. I'm just saying, for me, the same. Three weeks ago, I began to pray for an additional amount of money. I know we need it because we're given to Ukraine like crazy, emptied all of our reserves. Yesterday, while I'm in the car with Pastor, the first part of that came. From an unexpected, is that true? I read it to you in the car yesterday. I said, well, thank you, Lord. Now, I wasn't presuming the person who gave the funds was going to give it. I didn't know where it was going to come from. But it was a very generous amount of money, and it came from a guy that lived in a town of 46 people. So you drive, if you drive through the place, you go, who would live here? Well, that guy lived there, okay, and a few others, not many. 46 is the population of the place. And the first part of the title is Big. Big, some lion dog got that name up, but it's not true. So he was good. He was Jesus to our ministry yesterday. To see to it, there was enough resources for certain things overseas that are very important that we put on hold because we're helping people that have nothing all blown apart. So I'm just saying from our world, I'm not exempt from this. How do you run a million dollar ministry? Prayerfully. It keeps you on your face, but it's a good place to be. Because when things do show up that you need, you know who sent it. It wasn't just a friend someplace. God touched somebody supernaturally and they sent. So it doesn't make any difference now whether it's a few thousand or half a million. It doesn't make any difference. It takes hundreds of millions of dollars across the world to do God's work every year. It just takes that. So I'm not embarrassed to talk about money. That gift wasn't for me anyway. It just comes through our hands. We're sort of a Holy Ghost pipeline. Get it and ship it. Send it someplace where it's needed. So what do you need to get from here to there? We ought to start not begging God. You know, if you raised a bunch of kids as I have, you know, when I grew up, if I asked my dad for a dollar, I felt bad about that because gasoline was 20 cents a gallon. My kids never asked for a dollar, especially my daughter. She'd plop on my lap. She could get anything from me. Dad... I just need $20. I'll just. What for? Well, Dad, I got this cute outfit, but I just have I just have to get a new blouse for that. You know, I'm going to this thing, and I got. Okay, honey, bring back the change. <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> Ain't no change to be had. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to ask you from this point forward, and please write it in your notes if you're taking notes. Thank God that all we need is on the way from heaven. Amen. And thank him every day. Yes, sir. I will enter his gates begging my lungs out to get God to release. No, no, no. I'll enter his gates with thanksgiving. 
I'll enter his courts with praise. Come praising. Watch how quick you get the ear of God. I like Dr. Bishop Jake's term. Come with crazy praise. <laughs> I mean, you praise God when you don't feel like it. Praise God when you're not wet in the shower. Yeah. Praise him on a non-shower day. <laughs> yeah. It's a great discipline to praise God when you don't feel like it. Because we say, but we chafe under the practice. We say that, well, it really doesn't make a difference how we feel, but we sure act like it. You see, when we leave here today, I mean, so we're singing and loving on Jesus here and so on. Uh, it's very easy to feel the presence of God because we love him. Now we're going to do something really righteous when we leave here. We're going to go down to Publix and we're going to buy a banana cream pie. I encouraged Ruth last night to make some pudding, but she's a, she's full of rebellion at her age. She ought to be over it by now. And she just said, "No way, Jose, are you getting that during this?" No, no, she she didn't do that. But we're going to go down there and buy a pie, and maybe some steaks to grill. <clears throat> now that's just man, it's feeling good. You know, that's uh, that's just a humane thing that's normal in our life, isn't it? Food preparation, go get it. But we probably don't feel the same grace in the store that we feel here. Right. Let me bring you up short. The grace is exactly the same, and so is his presence. What has shifted is our awareness. Yes. So what to grow to fulfill the vision is our perpetual awareness of his presence. Yes. To look, look for him. Look for that awareness right in the middle of the most humane, ordinary things of life. And if you're looking for him, who, guess who you're going to discover? He's been lots of places with us where we didn't have the recognition of it. I may have told you this before. If I did, it bears repeating anyway. Reinhard Bonnke was at our church, and he was teaching about um, an anointing falling on every single person. By the way, at the end of it, he laid hands on everybody in our church. Uh, we had altar space this far, all right? And I'm on the front row with my wife and two of my boys, and I look down and look at the pastor, and the pastor goes, oh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> our whole foyer was full of people slaying the Spirit all over the platform. So before Bonky started praying, here's what he said. He said, it's probably, some of you are going to have to wait an hour and a half to be prayed for. Please wait. Because my anointing is richer at the end than it is at the beginning. And he starts, he starts praying for people. Well, the next day, I was, I was blessed by our pastor many times, uh, at the church. Uh, some of us that were in leadership would have a chance to host the guests that came through. The next day was my day with Bonky. Take him to the store and bring him back and forth and all of that stuff. Well, how often do you get Reinhard Bonky in your car? Just you and him. Pretty good, right? So I was so happy. So he got in the car. It was about 10 in the morning. We were going someplace. And uh, he got in. He says, oh, Brother Dale, last night was that Holy Ghost was falling. He's all biked up. I said, oh, it's absolutely one of the best services I've ever seen at our church. It's just unbelievable. But I said, listen, everyone called him Pastor Bonke. I said, Pastor Bonke, you need to take out some insurance. 
He said, why? I said, you wrecked our church. There's bodies flung here, bodies panel under the piano and everywhere else. He said, oh. I said, but I'd like you to explain something you said. I repeated what I've just told you about that wait, you know, at the end. He said, have you seen my videos from Africa? I said, yes, yeah, I've seen many of them. He said, you know what I do? He said, actually, our, our workers just put a chair and they get me up on the chair and sometimes I personally lay hands on 100,000 people for hours. Just hit them on the head and go. If they fall out, they go that way. And they just drag them on, lay them in the sand. And, they... and he said, you know, I'm a human being. At some point, I'm feeling, my interpretation was the anointing is lifting. When really what was happening is my body was getting tired. So the more I was weak, the greater was the anointing. He said, I had to learn that in this mass thing. And that's what happened last. And it was true. About an hour into this, a lot of people have been prayed for and left. I've never seen anything. He just waved his hand, 150 people, just go like that. No catchers, no anything. And no one got hurt. No one banged their head on a chair. If it was here, they'd go down between the... It was amazing. I said, I noticed. It's like you hit second gear. He said, I did. But it wasn't my flesh. So I'm saying the same thing to you. Because you don't sense doesn't mean God's absent. It means you don't sense. If we don't read that right, we'll be a little bit disappointed in God not being places, when in fact he is. What has shifted is our sensory part of that. You know, our ministry does not function because there's needs. And I know how cold that sounds. We do feed starving kids. And women that are slaves to God knows what. Next week, another group will go out from us. I'm not going personally, but they will go back to the Middle East and the cares for orphans and children and women, etc. Women suffer first and longest in most of the world. And with them, their children. That's still not what drives me. It did years ago. And, and though we had a whole season where we were perpetually exhausted and never had money in the bank. Because if you have any kind of merciful feeling about you and you see a need, you're going to start throwing money at it. And how I many know there's not enough money in the whole world to take care of the whole world's problems? Even if it's all organized, there's not enough. So how then do we function? We function this way. I learned from others, thank God, that if you're ever going to have a ministry that stays afloat financially and and has influence, you have to move because you have a word, yes. not because there's a need. Yes. Yes. Human needs are endless. But God's word is an expression of his, the kind intention of his will. And if he, if we have an assignment of something under the umbrella of his great work, and we say yes to that, there'll be resources and people and funds and everything else that's needed. It's a whole different way to function. But it's kept us not only afloat, but prospering and blessed. And significant people have come in and out of our lives at certain seasons when we needed them. And there's been more than enough. Not only to pay all the bills, but to be generous in the face of every kind of need. To which we had an assignment. That's why we we perpetually press God in prayer. 
We want, I, I mean, I, there's not a morning goes by I don't ask God for wisdom. And discernment right behind it. What do you want me to spend time with today? All the petitions that come for help, what do you want me to help with today? Or this week? What should we assign funds to? Because I recognize the value of money. How many know without it you can't do anything in the world? With it you can do nearly anything. As long as there's a supernatural touch on it. I had to learn it's not for me. Buy a bigger car, bigger house, but look, I got a big house. I got all that stuff. Don't need more. What I need is more of Him. Sharpen the listening. That's another point. Visionaries, learn the voice. That's a learned behavior. How many know when Samuel was a boy in the temple, he didn't know who was talking? He ran to ask someone else, I thought you called me. No, it wasn't me. Finally, Eli said, it's God talking to you. And whatever he says, tell me. He was sorry he said that. Samuel, when he prophesied the first time, it was a ripper. You're going to (laughs) die. Try that for your first prophetic word. You got a future. (laughs) Didn't he prophesy that? His first prophecy declared the guy that's telling his leader is going to die. You're out of here, Jack. Amazing. No, his name was Eli, not Jack. So visionaries are sharpening their ear, the inner ear, to hear what the Lord says. I suspect most words come to us when we're having an exchange with this word here. How many know that's the safest? I absolutely will not take a word if a stranger comes that I don't know, and they say, thus says the Lord, and I've had no inclination from God in my life. Uh, I don't have a secret in my heart. God's dropped in me. I'm going to meet a certain place. He's going to help us in Mauritius or Nepal or some. If I don't have some, I will not accept that. Guidance does come from outside. Confirmation, but not guidance. How many know the difference in that? Confirmation means what God's already established. I'll bring you into my life. In the last uh, year and a half, on four different continents, four different people who don't know one another and don't know me have prophesied this over my life as a confirming word. The Lord says, there is no retirement for you. I could I say, now, Lord, your word says bring your complaints. Here it is. I want two months in Hawaii. Come on. I can go to Hawaii if I want to. But... Um, <clears throat> Four different people, unknown to one another, not known to me, have said those same words. And some have quoted the same Bible verse as the last person. How many think that might be a confirming word? I have never had a plan ever in my life to retire in the traditional sense. I'm not down on anybody who does. But that hasn't been what I have felt for my own life. I love to work. I love to go places. I love to meet pretty stewardesses on airplanes. I I mean... (laughs) Today, that's not always true. Sometimes you have a ugly, burly old guy saying, you want coffee, tea, or me? No, I'll have the coffee. That's, we'll just bring the coffee pot through here. That'll be fine. <laughs> How many understand the difference in what I've just told you? And like a child, my sheep know my voice. They, they've developed. Samuel had to learn who's talking. The first thing was awesome. 
you're gone. It's amazing. Well, Lord knows we don't need too many words like that. There wouldn't be a human race left. But what we need is the mechanism to hear. And you ladies, God bless you. You have this other sense that we men don't have. We're just as dumb as a board fence when it comes to, to, uh, to intuition. And uh, my mother had a big dose of that. She knew where I was going to send three weeks in advance. And with whom? What time of the day? She said, honey, you, you thinking about going somewhere with Robert? Yeah, how'd you know that? We hadn't even planned it yet. I think the Lord would be pleased if you didn't do that. I learned, don't do it. If mama's talking, she's already smelled the devil popping up here someplace. Don't do it. And you women are beautifully gifted with that. You call it whatever you like, but you know stuff in advance. And how many know a lot of it is a sensing? It's not a, but it's a, your knower just knows something. And it's external to you. It comes, it comes, comes. So you're gifted with that. God bless you. And, and God can use it wonderfully in the prophetic because that's, that same mechanism is where we hear from above. I think it has to do with your spirit. I really do. That's part of leadership is begin to learn what God said. Then it's such a wonderful way to live. We're not driven around by a whole bunch of stuff. Well, you know, this, this big conference over here, guess what's happening? It doesn't affect me one bit. Even that maybe God for them. But listen, what you hear in a conference is a rhema for them, but it's an echo for us until it's birthed. It can be birthed. What someone else is doing can be birthed. But we shouldn't be about it until it's burst. Then there's a sense of ownership and responsibility to that. We're cursed with good ideas, you know. Vision, the vision that comes from God, has the power to move people. There's a sense among us of of corporate amen. Understand what I'm saying? Something, even if it doesn't come out of our mouth, we know, you know what? This is the Lord. This is the will of God for our... Years ago in California, it was all the Baker Swaggart stuff was going on. And our pastor got up on Sunday morning and said, Well, the Lord has just released me to go on television. I said, Pastor, inside, what are you... It couldn't be worse. A timing. He's, and he began to weep. I said, Oh, man. I hope he didn't hear me in the spirit, what I was <laughs> grumbling about. And and he took an offering up. It was a huge offering. I mean, it's the early days of our church life. I mean, maybe there's eight or 900 people there. But the offering was like $100,000. So he understood that as God's confirming what he's telling me to do. And I'm going, I'm not writing a check for this. Man, there's such a horrible reputation in TV ministries at that point. Well, that's that. And uh, he's still on 110 nations. Finally, God got a hold of my checkbook <laughs> by reminding me. He didn't tell me to go on television. He told the pastor, you need to support what he's doing. Lord, are you sure? I'm sure that you are in rebellion with that checkbook. So write a check. So I did. Later, my wife began to work for him in the answering department of and I said to her one day, I said, honey, tell me about the responses pastor's getting. She said, honey, today I just worked on mail from Turkey. Just from Turkey. 
In the last two and a half weeks, 478 precious Turks received Jesus as Savior. See how wrong I was? Because my flesh, I mean, the reputation of TV ministries in those days was going sideways. Now my man, who's not part of any of that stuff, but he's going to get on the, try to get on TV. And, And guess what? There was a channel open in Los Angeles that had not been open for 13 years and that channel called our pastor and said, would you like to be on one of the biggest markets in America? And for a song and a dance financially, might be God. But that's a different way to walk than there's a need. They're always, they're, I mean, it's endless. Or you could say, we've heard from the Lord. We're just going to try to walk that out. 